Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm your host. I'm only as hip as my guests, and and we have a we have a great guest today. Um, she's a comic. She's an actor. She's a writer. She, I believe, she has a podcast. She does it all. My guest is Kathy Levin. How you doing, Kathy? Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, I like, what is this walk my mind? I really like this. Well, it's an app that uh, I do with Cooper Talk also. It's an app that it connects, basically connects like an i an i what's it called? A, a Fitbit and iTunes. So it's all in one and companies give it to their employees and they have contests and it gives them content that they can listen to when they walk and on one of the shows that they have on, one of the interviewers. That's so great. This it sounds like very it sounds very holistic, which I like. Now, are, are you a holistic person? Well, I mean, holistic in a way that it really addresses all parts of you. You know what I'm saying? Your mind, your body, your spirit, that kind of thing. That's good. I mean, I'm holistic in that way. I wouldn't consider myself like. I mean, to look at me, you wouldn't say, you know, oh wow, this woman like really lives clean. Um, although, I mean, I don't look like a crack whore, but, um, but you know what I'm saying, right? Oh yeah. Well, now I got to ask you, I've been seeing you on, uh, I'm dying up here. How's yes. that? Now that must be great because, you know, it was after you got to LA when you were doing comedy, but you sort of got in, when you came to LA, it was still somewhat the beginnings, not that same time, but how did that role come apart about, and it must have been great just, you know, because I've seen you in scenes with Rick Overton and you guys are just great comics and uh, Melissa Leo is just phenomenal in it. Oh, How did that role come up and did you get it right away and did they know about well, comic problems? Well, I auditioned for it. My agent sent me up for it. It was no, there was no um, magic. There were no, there was no connection or anything. She just saw it in the breakdowns and she submitted me and I went in. And um, uh, that was it. And it's, interesting it's like it's sort of surreal to be now this older person I mean the, the time period is about 10 years before I started um, eight or ten years before I started but um, it's still rather surreal to be the older person now looking at these younger comics doing the type of things that I was doing and hungry and, you know, in the clubs all the time and staying out late, uh, you know, at um, uh, Cantor's or, or wherever we went, you know, in New York, it was one place in LA, it was another thing. And um, Jesus, I mean, I used to stay up until like three in the morning. It's I mean, I can't do that anymore. Well, it's amazing. I When I did comedy in Philly, it was the same thing. And now it's like, I swear to God, my girlfriend will put the TV on and at 1030, I'll fall asleep on the couch and I wake up at 12 and I hear her in the bedroom and I walk in and I'm going, wait, I'm the same way. We used to be at clubs all the time. And it was just that, it was the camaraderie too, that you would just hang out. And your group, now your group of uh, New York comics, you started out with, I think, believe Seinfeld and all them. So you really had a good group of comics. Um, well, Jerry was before me. He started in the late 70s. I started in 81. So he had about four years, four or five years on me. Um, but uh, I didn't know you started in Philly. 
Yeah, I was. I did Philly. I started in like '88 in Philadelphia, and I remember I would see you at the Comedy Works because that was one of. I would work at the Comedy Factory outlet, and I would go across and, I, and work. And you used to be there, right? But you know what's really funny is that in 1977, in '76, '77, I was a teacher in Abington, Pennsylvania. I taught eighth grade English at Huntington Junior High School, which I now I believe is a senior residence. <laughs> same people um, <laughs> and um, I you know I wanted to, I really I wanted to stand up since I was like 13 and so I taught for a year and I knew I didn't want to do this and I just I, there was a club that Jerry had been to in Philly and I decided to go there and try out on the um, amateur nights and do you know which club I'm talking about well, I know the, before the Comedy Factory and the Comedy Works, there was a place called the Jail House. I know that was one of the beginning ones. Yeah, wasn't that. Was going Bananas? No. Okay, because the Comedy Works and the Comedy Factory Outlet are what came in part. That's where I started out. But bef okay. before then, there was there was, a, there was like 12 comics that would go to a few places, like Wayne Cotter would go there and a few other people, and they were all in the Philadelphia area before the bigger clubs opened. Okay, this was called Grandma Minis. Does that ring a bell at all to you? That's before my time. I mean, just because, okay. I, I mean, I was, when I was in college, we never really went to Philly. I mean, I didn't even know anything about comedy before I got right. out of college and started it. Right, okay. So you don't, you never even heard of the place? No. All right, so I don't feel that old. <laughs> <laughs> but what was amazing is that, um, I remember going there and um, Joe Bol. I went on a Wednesday and Joe Bolster was the MC. Did you, did you know Joe Bolster? I'm friends with him on Facebook, yeah. Yeah, well, I later knew him in New York very well because we were all doing stand-up together at the comic strip. And um, so he was the MC and the first, I went two weeks in a row. The first time I went there, Rich Hall was there. And he was just living in his car at the time, traveling around the country. And I remember him complimenting me on a joke that I did, and it was so exciting. <laughs> um, but so I did it twice, and I and then I was going out to California for a vacation, um, and I you know loved it out here because I was on a vacation. <laughs> And I decided I want to move out here and do stand-up. So I spoke to Jerry because I knew him, you know, I had known Jerry for a long time since before stand-up. And we went and talked to Larry Miller about it. And they said, yeah, you know, you could do it. But I didn't, I was so terrified I didn't go near a comedy club. I lasted four months in Los Angeles. And then I moved back to New York. And then I finally started doing stand-up in 1981. Well, now you said you wanted, you were, since you were like 13, you wanted to do yes. it. What caught your eye? Was it, was it a certain performance on TV or was it just like watching, you know, the different TV shows? Because I know for me, one of the reasons I wanted to get into comedy was 
my brother had Cheech and Chong wedding album and I just yeah. laughed and I laughed and I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And then I had a Carlin album, which I don't even know how my parents let me buy because it was called like Toledo Window Box, which they didn't know that was marijuana. They didn't know what a window box was. They didn't think anything of it. But I just remember him doing the inflections and semi, you know, semi boneless ham. And it just made me laugh and it caught my, caught my ear. What made you want to sit there and decide you wanted to do stand-up well, at a young age? My parents had comedy albums, and the two that I remember the best, which I had, which are in my possession today, are Vaughn Meter's First Family and um, uh, Nichols and May Examine Doctors, and that's the one that really got me. I listened to that over and over. I memorized the entire album. I still know it. It's still it just you know ingrained in my brain. And that's what really made me interested at age eight. Oh wow! Um, in comedy, I mean, that was pretty sophisticated for age eight, I have to say. But there was it was almost something that I was understanding on a visceral level, and um, because I couldn't have understood all of the nuance then at age eight, I just can't even imagine that. But it was something that really spoke to me on some level, and. I fell in love with comedy, and I used to watch the comedians on the Ed Sullivan Show all the time. And when I could sneak staying up late, I would watch on The Tonight Show. And then when I was 13, I made a conscious decision to become a stand-up comic. And I, it wasn't until I was about 25, 26 that I really started, because I was scared. I was really scared. That's why I went, was a teacher for a year. I was just, I couldn't see it, you know, I couldn't see see it through at, 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 you know, when I graduated from college. Well, what made you change? I mean, you said you went to LA, you didn't go up at all. Then you came back right. to New York. What was the changing factor that sat there and said, you know what? I want to do this. Were you thinking I have to do this? Else I'm just going to sit here and regret well, it. I was really depressed. I really wanted to do it. I couldn't even watch comics anymore. It, it just, it was making me so sad. And then one night I hadn't spoken to Jerry in, in a couple of years. And then one night, I'm, I was watching The Tonight Show, and I hear Johnny announce this new, new young comic who's going to make his national network debut. And his name was Jeff Seinfeld. And I thought, Jeff Seinfeld? I said, that must be a mistake. It has to be Jerry. So um, – Certainly, it was a mistake, which Johnny acknowledged when they came back. And I watched Jerry do his very first Tonight Show. And I was so naive. I thought that um, since he did the Tonight Show, that he must live in Los Angeles. So I called Los Angeles Information, and I got Jerry's number, and I left him a message. And the next day, he left me a message saying that if there was anyone that he would have wanted to have seen that shot it was it was I and he was coming to New York the next week and let's get together so I made us dinner and we talked and I told him how miserable I was and that I really wanted to do stand-up and I went around to the clubs with him he was doing did about two or three sets that night and um he kind of held my hand um you know those first several months we communicated with one another from new york and la and uh it helped you know he was a real champion of mine 
And it's interesting because you know, we met, you know, when we met when I was about 15 and um, I, I was the one who told him that he could be a stand-up comic. Wow. He never really entertained that. And um, so it's interesting how we each did that for each other. Now, when you started hitting the scene in New York, what was it like? Because, you know, I know when I was in Philly, there wasn't a whole bunch of female comics and it was a very much of a guys club. Was that hard for you to, you know, but you do, you were going around with Jerry and Jerry knew everybody probably. And so no, that's probably I wasn't, wasn't going around with Jerry. I mean, it was just that night. I mean, Jerry was in LA and, um, that didn't, that didn't uh, impact my, uh, my, I mean, the, the help that Jerry gave me was just a, per, you know, it was just personal okay. through letters and phone calls and stuff like that. That was, that was how he helped me. That was how he encouraged me and sort of held my hand while I went through the initial, uh, steps of, of getting on stage. But, you know, I never really looked at it as a male, when I was starting anyway, I never looked at it as a male, female thing. I looked at it as I was going to be a comic and anybody who, was a comic, was my peer. Right. That's how I felt, too, but it seems it's changed a lot. I think, well, I think as as I got into the business more, I felt that they, I, I began to see the um, horrific double standards that there are, and not just in comedy, but, you know, kind of across the board in, 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 in every field um, between men and women. And... You know, one of the one of the things that still hasn't changed is that when you see when when there are three women on on a show, you look at it as an all female show, but you don't look at it the same way if there are three men on a show. And it, that's just you know we live in a very patriarchal society, and um, that's sad and and it's changing very very slowly, very incrementally, but. Um, I look forward to a day when that doesn't, uh, that's not so glaring when there are three women on a show. Right. I mean, for me, if there's three women on the show, my feeling is I just hope they're all funny. You know, I, I don't care if it's, if it's three guys on a show, three women on a show. I don't care what they are as long as right. I know if I'm going to laugh. And, if, and, and right. you know, I don't want to sit there and go, oh, okay, okay. Because I don't care. And for me, for me, it's always been if someone's not funny, they're just not funny. And <laughs> it's not if they're a guy or they're a woman. It's just, you're not funny. Just like if somebody's funny. And I think that's just, yeah. you know, the growing up in the Philadelphia comedy scene, that was just our thing. You know, it wasn't about black or white or straight or gay or male or female. It was just like, if someone was funny, you would go into the room and watch them. And if they weren't, that's when you would go. When I used to smoke cigarettes, that's when you go out and smoke a cigarette. Right, right, exactly. Um, when, where was your starting club? Was it the... Uh, co um, comedy comedy Fa Factory Outlet? Yeah, I started the Comedy Factory Outlet. And, okay. and I saw, just like in, I'm dying up here when they're the doorman, I got a job there because it was right. slotted. You got a slotted time on the open mics. And then we would go across the street to the Comedy Works. And it was a very interesting time in Philadelphia. And it was really at the time there were so many clubs. And I know I, you were headlining in Philly by then, I believe, because I, I saw you at the Comedy Works one time. Right. And it was a matter of. You know, they were getting all the New York acts because comedy was blowing up so much. What was that like when you were involved in the explosion of comedy? Because 
you know, did you did you go? Were you making strides quickly to become a feature and a headliner? And then how did it happen that you just you know when it blew up, you were already at the level where they said she's going to headline? Well, it just I was just at such the right time. Um, my dog's having a bad dream right now. At least I think that's what it is. When they yip like that, I think he's having a bad dream. I'm, maybe I'm just anthropomorphizing him. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I was I came up at such an exciting time. It was just the best. I mean, there were such great acts, and there were so many places to work. It was fantastic. It was just fantastic. And um, so... You know the opportunities were there. Um, there, there were so, there were a lot of places to fill. You know, um, so and I was a good act. I mean, you know, I look at what I was doing back then, and I feel like how you know elementary it was. Um, you know, interesting um, that. Um, yeah, yeah, well, you know how you grow. You know, it's it's different. It, you, you look at you. I mean, hopefully you grow. Um, but at the time that I was working and for what I was doing, I was I was a good act. And I have to say, they put me. They always put me in the in the um, you know the category of a woman. You know, like get, oh, can you hold on a second, Steve? Sure. I, he, hold on. I, he's he's like yipping like crazy. Chappy. Sweetie, it's okay. Come here, sweetie. It's all right. It's all right, honey. It's okay. It just sounds, it sounds so distressing when they do that. Do you right. have a dog? No, no, we don't. Oh. I grew up just, with dogs, though, but we don't have one. Just We were going to get one eventually, but we're just in a It just bit. sounds very distressing when, when they're yipping like that. So, you know, of course, I project, I project onto him how I feel when I'm having a dream like that. So I don't want him to have a dream like that. He might be having a great time. Exactly. He might have done something really <laughs> stupid by waking him. But, you know, what are you going to do? Right. Um, what are you going to do? I'm an idiot. I can't help it. Um, so um, uh, what were we talking about? You were saying about it was such a great time, but they put you in a category as a woman. Yeah, I mean, still then. Still then, they definitely... Put you put me in a category as as a, you know the female comic. Let's get a woman on the show. You know, uh, I remember I remember um, calling someone uh, someone who was booking a show and saying that I you know I'd love to work with so and so. And he said, well, that, then that would be two women on the show. <sighs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was real annoying it was really annoying so um there, there was definitely that as i went along as i went past the first stages there, there was that to contend with um but i i consider myself incredibly lucky to have come up when i did with so much stage time and such great talent that i was watching you know people who were ahead of me and people who were at my place and then people who were starting after me it was just a very a very creative time for comedy. Well, also, really creative. There was also for you, especially your New York acts. It was such a uh, great time to be able to get your act on TV. There were so many shows. 
what was the first show you did? I know eventually you've done them all, but what was your first TV appearance you had doing stand-up? Well, I mean, I did little local things, but very, I think the very first national show that I did, interestingly enough, was the very last Dick Cavett show on ABC. And, you know, they were hiding it at all sorts of hours in every market. I think it aired at like 2.30 in the morning um, on uh, in New York. And it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was myself and Carol Liefer and Richard Belzer. We were the guests. And I was the only one who did stand-up. And it was my very first time in a studio like that. And I was a little, I was a little nervous, you know. I was a little nervous, but I was also incredibly excited. Really excited. So you're doing the you're doing the comedy in New York. When do you decide to go to LA, and when do you get your first like Tonight Show shot and stuff like that? I mean, was that very quick, or did you decide no. to come to LA? And was it was it an experience for you because you had been to LA for four months when you were younger? You came back, and then right. when you were going back again, you you had some juice. You probably had some heat. So when what made you decide to move to LA? Because it sounds like things were really good in New York. Well, the reason I moved to LA was really because of a relationship. I was with somebody who, who had been doing stand-up longer than I and wanted to be out there, out here. I still say out there because I still consider myself a New Yorker. Um, and, you know, I went, I came out here for a month and figured I would see how I, how I liked it. And um, I... Uh, did a did a uh, set at the comedy store and I passed auditions there so I could be um, you know so I could be uh, a regular there and so I knew I would have a stage so I decided to move out with my then boyfriend and we ended up breaking up before we moved out here but I I moved out anyway and um, and you know Mitzi really put me up a lot all the time. I mean, I, when I was in town, I worked six nights a week at the comedy store. I got all the stage time that I needed. And then I started working at the improv also. So there was, there was plenty of work to be had, plenty of work. And, um, uh, I was, you know, I, I was doing well here. I was moving up and I was starting to work the road and I was making some good money. And, you know, that was the time that I did that. And, and, but it was pulling me out of uh, LA because, you know, I was going after, I was going after the money and I wasn't going after the, um, um, the TV auditions. And then I, then eventually I did that and started, um, uh, I got, I, I did a, I did a few pilots, nothing that got picked up though, unfortunately. Now, how was it for you to sit there and transition from doing stand-up to getting the pilots? Which I always say, you know, people say, you know, they don't, the pilots didn't get picked up. But my, my feeling always is if you're booked for a pilot, that's such an accomplishment because so many people want that. And so many people at times, they get discouraged because they go, oh, my pilot didn't get picked up. And it's like, yeah, but you got booked for a pilot. What was it like right. for you to cross over from doing stand-up? Because, you know, you were hitting the road, you're doing clubs, and we know it's quite different going on a set. Yeah. Was it easy for you to... Switching to switch into those I auditions. Loved it. Yes, I really loved it. I mean, I really, um, I just really took to it. I love acting, 
and I like the process of it. And I also loved the collaborative um, piece of it. I liked not being alone on stage and working off of somebody else. That was a nice change. Not that I don't like stand up and I don't, you know, like the elements of, of that when you're when you're flying solo, that's fun too. But when you're up there with other people and when you're rehearsing something and finding a way to make it work, that's exciting in a different way, completely. And and I loved it. I loved the process. Now, how did you react at that point? And I, it must be tough when you do get a pilot. It was very crushing to you at the time when you look back, back at it, when it didn't get picked up or were you just, did you roll with the punches? What, say that again? I'm sorry. I, you said you got in some pilots, but they never got yeah. picked up. Yeah. How, how did you react to that at the time? Oh. Was, it, was it depressing? Well, you know, it's disappointing, but, um, you know, what are you going to do? Um, you, you definitely, I mean, you know, you, you look at the, oh God, if I could have a job like every day and, and drive to my job every day and get a great paycheck, wouldn't that be so fun? And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, some, some, the first one I did was horrible and I, I, I know why it wasn't picked up. It was just not a good piece of work, but I met such great people on it. I worked with George Clooney, who's a sweetheart and Stephen Tobolowsky, with whom I'm still friends, and Phyllis Lyons, and Dee Dee Rescher. I mean, I still know these people, and this is 1989. Um, and, uh, I mean, it was disappointing. But then there were other ones that I thought, well, this could go, and it didn't. And, yes, it was disappointing. It's always disappointing. You always you always want to... Um, you know, you 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 you're looking at the job. You're looking at the stability, the the semi stability of it, and then to not have to go, you know, get on an airplane every week was appealing too. Now, at what point did you get the Tonight Show? And was that a, was it a hard job to get, or did you was it easy? Did you get off one audition, or when did it happen? You know, apparently I had been seen before and. Was it was considered that I wasn't ready, and then I, I did the Late Show and I several times, and and you know, um, but I was really glad that they waited to put me on. I was really glad that they made sure that I was even more than ready, because the nerves, the the anxiety, waiting behind that curtain, doing such a big show as the Tonight Show. Um, you know, I was glad that I was more than ready with, in my craft so that I had that to go to, you know, when, when I, when, when the adrenaline was overwhelming, you know what I mean? Now, were you, did you feel confident in your sets when you did it? When you got off stage, was it that relief? Like, man, I did really well. And you must've been pumping with adrenaline right after well, it was done. The first one um went great it was just great and then they wanted me back really soon like within a couple of months or something and you know i had i had you know when you when you're starting when you're starting out and and, and stand-up is your only thing that you're doing um you have a lot of material and going on stage you know you know 25 times a month you have a lot of material so i had a lot to draw from but 
what I was very naive about was that, you know, I had this great time on The Tonight Show the first time, and I thought, well, that means the second time is going to be even better. And not realizing that it can never be the same as the first, no matter how good it is. So it was, I had this really surreal experience where I was, um, you know, just not, I was like out of my body um, and not really, um, I wasn't there for it. I was almost looking at myself and I was thought that it was going terribly. And I remember, and I, it was with Jay. Uh, I did, I did, ended up doing, the first time I was on, was supposed to be on with Johnny, I was bumped. And then I was on with Jay a couple of times before I was on with Johnny. And so I remember speaking to Jay's wife later that night. And she said, I think this one was even better than your first. And then I watched it and it was, it was great. But while I was experiencing it, it really felt um, not fun. I was not enjoying the, the experience. And, and that, that I attribute to my naivete of not understanding the difference between the second time of something and the first time of something. Nothing can match the first time of something. Now, you did The Tonight Show. And now, did you, did you get to do it with Johnny? I did, yes. I no. did it with Johnny several times. Now, what was that like? And did you get couch? And what was, I mean, you know, as I said, you know, and it's so funny when you watch, I'm dying up here, that people do say The Tonight Show changes you. And Tom Dreesen had told me, you know, after he did The Tonight Show, his the next, he went from living in his car to the next day being with William Morris and stuff like that. What was your right. Tonight Show experience when you did it with Johnny? I mean, was that must be a, as a kid watching, you know, I mean, not, as a kid, watching TV all your life wanting to do comedy, that must have just been a highlight that when you actually got to do it when Johnny hosted? Well, it was pretty amazing. It really was. And, and Jim McCauley, who was, um, the, uh, segment producer for the comics at the time, he really wanted me to, um, do it with Johnny. And I had, you know, I was doing it with Jay and I, I, you know, got panel, you know, sat on the couch both times. And I said to him, I said, you know, I have to do it with Johnny, but I want to do panel. I don't want to like, you know, all of a sudden not do panel. And he understood what I meant. And I guess he went and talked to the, the people who were in charge. I mean, maybe Fred de Cordova and then maybe Johnny himself, who knows, but it, it was okay that I would, that I would do panel. And that was great. I did panel every time on The Tonight Show. And I really thought that that was, panel was, I mean, I was a strong stand-up, but I thought that um, my strength was sitting and talking. Well, yeah, it's panel was always cool when they called a comic out. That's when you knew a comic had the chops because they didn't even do the stand-up anymore. You know, they just said, we want to, you know, the next person performing at whatever, Harvey's in Tahoe, Bring right. we're gonna bring out Kathy Lavin. Now, when you do that though, it, is it all scripted? Do you have this set up, or is there actually some improving too? Um, it depends on the show, and it depends on the person. I mean, there were there was a, I this this is a really interesting thing. I think it was the I can't remember if it was the first or second time I did it with Johnny. Maybe I can't remember, but probably the first because I went and sat down after my set, 
and he said that was really that was really funny or very funny and and he says how long have you been doing this and i said eight and a half long years can you believe i thought that was a long time steve <laughs> eight and a half years i've been doing this 36 years now so eight and a half long years i i said i said to him and he said well you're getting very good at it and i said thanks so are you and it was like such a knee-jerk reaction because I thought it was a really condescending comment on his part. So I just answered him right back, and he laughed, and the whole <laughs> audience laughed, and it was great. But, I mean, that was, you know, that was something that was certainly not planned. Um, but most of the, and then he would lead you into um, material, um, and then, you know, it depends on how good the interviewer was. When I did stuff with Craig Ferguson, it was way more conversational, and I loved doing that with him. I mean, I loved just talking to him, and that 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 to me was most interesting. Well, I know your last set on Craig, you talked about eating disorders and your actors growing. Was was that okay by the network, or is that something that you felt you had to do because? People aren't used to that. You came out and, you know, and it's the evolving as a comic where we get to our more personal bits. Right. And it was, I saw that. I remember watching it. I told Joanne, I said, oh, Kathy's been on, on Cooper Talk. What made you decide to do that? It just And, and it, it went great and people loved it. But was that a little nerve wracking for you a little bit because it was national TV? And you know how people are very close-minded on stuff now still right yeah i mean it was nerve-wracking but it, i it was in, i was and still am in the process of developing this solo show and um i really wanted to talk about something substantive you know and and my director at the time said why don't you do an excerpt from the show and i really didn't think i could do an excerpt from the show there wasn't anything that was really that would be appropriate this it was too you know there was stuff that was too serious or too long or it wasn't the right venue for it but I did pull some lines and I did a few jokes up front that were basic and then I did I did material that was more about not accepting oneself um, so I kind of tied it in that way and then I wrote a closing bit just for that. Um, set about me choosing if I if I was ever on death row and had to choose a, a last meal, what would that be like as an anorexic, you know? And um, that was really satisfying to to tailor it to um, just that particular to write something for that particular uh, set was 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 very satisfying for me. Now, you know, you said 36 years, you know, you've been in. How has your writing style changed? And at what points has it changed a few times? Because I think as we all grow, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who I think when we start and we're younger doing comedy, we're addicted to the laugh. And it used to be the clubs back in the day, they wanted you to get a laugh, a laugh, a laugh. And if, if you went out on a tangent, sometimes the clubs may not want you back. And when did you start developing, you know, you're changing, I mean, writing, you're changing your writing style. Where is your writing style at now? Well, you know, it's, it's, anytime, anytime anything smacks of bullshit for me, you know, um, if it's, if it sounds disingenuous, if it sounds like it's, you know, kind of like, not really an, a truth. 
I can't do it. Um, and, you know, sometimes if I have to do a really long set, I do some material that is not my favorite and it's really not as much fun for me. And it used to, the same material used to be fun for me, but it's, you know, I really, uh, there's a, I want to talk on a, on a, on a, a level that is meaningful now. I feel like, you know, I have this opportunity. I'm, st I'm on a stage with a microphone. Um, I can, you know, I have this opportunity to share my perspective with people. Do I really want to waste it on insignificant things? And sometimes it's just, you know, sometimes things are funny just because it's my, my POV on something, my point of view on something. But, um, but I really want to, I mean, I'm starting to talk more about politics. I talk a lot about politics online, but I don't talk about it as much um, on stage. Um, but I'm starting to do it a little bit more on stage. And I just, you know, I, I want to do things that are more and more personal. And that's really more satisfying for me and darker also. I've gotten much darker. It's funny. Much more sunny. <laughs> a lot of people are, a lot of people have gone that way. Now with the writing though, because you, you wrote for TV too, so you have the writing chops. How did you parlay your stand-up into the writing career? I know you had written for, uh, I believe, Roseanne and Caroline in the yes. City. How did that parlay? Because you were doing stand-up well, and you were auditioning. How would that happen? I was very, very lucky. Um, I, um, I, I think I had written a spec script with my husband at the time. And I think it was, Ro I think it was a Roseanne spec. I'm not sure. I think it was, but, um, I was with new managers and Roseanne was actively looking for more women to be on her staff. And I believe it was Lois Bromfield who recommended me. She knew me from the comedy store and they called me, you know, I didn't have to, you know, I wasn't really looking to be a writer. I really wanted to be in front of the camera. In fact, I left my next writing job on Caroline in the City in the middle of the season because I really was frustrated. You know, I was just so frustrated. I wanted to be doing what the actors were doing. And now, of course, if I had stayed in that, if I had stayed in the, on that path, man, I would have been in very different shape. You know, I would have had a writing career. Now, when you said you left, what made you decide? I mean, that must be a hard decision because we know staff writers make a good living. How long were you with Caroline in the City? And didn't you appear on the show also? Yes, I was, um, I was a recurring character on the show. I um, left in February and we started working I guess in July maybe so I was there for about seven or eight months and I just wanted to be out there and auditioning for pilots and uh, episodics and so you know I, I decided to leave now were you doing you were doing the recurring parts though when you were writing for them yes okay and so then after that though they didn't have you come back to recur I think I probably did. I probably did go back. 
Um, when they, you know, my character was really used when they needed a button for a scene. But there was one episode where they actually opened it up and they had my character. Uh, they actually had my character in the full um, episode. Um, and they had, I had my apartment and all that. But usually I was the elevator lady. Um, and I had like, you know, two or three lines or maybe even one line that was just a button on a scene and a laugh when they couldn't, when they couldn't find a joke for the other characters they brought in the elevator lady. Now, when you were doing, trying to get out and act more, were you still doing stand up, or did you sort of put that on the back burner? I mean, what, what, how when, was... I, when, I, when I was in town, I was doing stand up. Yeah, I was, I was doing stand up when I was in town and when I was on the road, I was on the, I was, you know, obviously doing stand up, and then I, uh, I mean, if I got an acting gig, then I didn't do stand up while I was acting because I had to get up early and had to concentrate on the script. And but yeah, my stand my stand up has kind of waned. I think I'm you know I'm working on this show and I'm doing some other things that um, are taking my time right now. Um, and I'm doing stand up, but nowhere near as much as I used to. But you know what? I'm a different person now. Um, I wouldn't want to be hanging out in clubs six nights a week. I have a family and I'm 61. I, I don't stay, like we were talking about, I don't stay up until, you know, one, two, three in the morning. I can't. I have to get up early. You know, I have a very different life. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it is. We all change. It's crazy. Now, now the one woman show. I'm not 30 anymore. The, what's that? I'm not 30 anymore. Right. Now, the one-woman show, where is that at? It was the, I know you were writing, it was called, Does a Show Make Me Look Fat? You Now, you yes. you workshopped that a few times. I know that. I think. I, and now it's kind of, I'm back to the drawing board on it. I, I kind of need to do a major rewrite on it right now. It started to go down a path that I that wasn't working for me, so I'm in the middle of a major rewrite. Now, when you, when you tackle a one-person show... It must, and when you put the time in, then you notice it's going down the wrong path. It must yes. be frustrating, but it must be invigorating. Oh. But what made it go down the wrong path? Because I know a lot of it deals with your, you know, your battle with anorexia and stuff like that. Oh. What happened? I think it was the tone. It was the tone of the show. Um, it was. Um, it wasn't sounding like me. And I needed to put the brakes on it. And it was very frustrating. And I actually walked away from it for like, you know, seven months. <clears throat> I just didn't want to even look at it. But I knew that I wanted to do it. So I had to get back. Um, I had to get back to it. Um, so, there, I mean, there was no way of getting it up on stage without confronting it. So that was that. <laughs> you know, um, I had to do it. I have to do it. Uh, I don't want to abandon it. I really feel like this is a calling for me. I feel like I am in such a good position to talk about this and to help people. You know, that's like, I really want to be more of service at this point in my life. Well, that's always a great, and that's a great thing. And that's one thing that people, you know, that's the one person shows can do that. It can convey that it just once people get past that. I think a lot of times people will go to a show and they're not really versed on what a one person show is. 
and it's a comic doing it, they think it's going to be all comedy. And then when the person brings it down like a little, you know, it's peaks and valleys, they get a little thrown off. And I think people need to accept that more because it's a matter of it's not all just comedy. Definitely not. And and the thing is that I, um, it's just very hard because it's taking, it's this is taking me so long. I mean, it's like almost embarrassing how long this is taking me. But it's taking me what it's taking me, you know? And that's that. And I have to just accept that. Um, not my, which is not my forte, I have to say. Um, it's, I, I am, I am, uh, you know, it's hard for me to accept things that aren't going my way. Some people, some people um, have an easier time with it, I think, than others. I suck at it. Well, I, I think a lot of us do. I think that's just a normal reaction. I mean, I know some people are easy, but if I get, I get very irritated if things aren't right. Um, now, with your acting, well, I know what was it like? I, I know you were on an episode of Mad Men, and what was it like to be on an iconic show? I mean, that's something that oh, not yes. everyone, not everyone can say. I was on, and it is an iconic show. That must have just been a blast. It was the best. It was the first show that I had ever been on that I really watched and um, loved. Although I'd been on Everybody Loves Raymond, and that was a great show, but it was different. This was really different. This, in, in some ways, felt more important. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, because Ray is, you know, Ray's, Ray was a great show, and Phil's great, and the writing staff is great. But Mad Men was one of those time pieces you know I, I heard stories of guys who have guest starred on on Mad Men and like you don't even get to see the script like you don't even you, you get like a few pages and there's some big right. NDA and and stuff you go right. oh my god you go like this would never happen on a sitcom right right yeah I mean it, it was it was a, a a very serious endeavor and um uh and I was working with such incredibly talented people. It was exciting. It was exciting. It was, you know, it was, I, I, I realized that I was, it was going to be something that was going to be seen over and over and over for a long time. Now, what was it like bringing, you know, being, I mean, it was not a serious, serious role, but what was it like being on a serious set? Because, you know, you've been around sitcoms a lot. What was the difference in the, the feeling? Um, well, it was shot completely differently. It was shot like a film. Um, it was, you know, a uh, single camera and there was no audience and, um, uh, you know, it was, it was just, they did coverage in, in uh, of, of the scene in, in a way that they don't do it in a multi-camera show. You know, it was just very different. It was very different. And you work with the director worked, the, you worked with the director in a very different way. It was, it was like a film. It was like shooting a film. Now, what do you prefer? I mean, I know acting is acting. It's a hard question. But do you prefer because of the background side of you when you get to do in front of a live audience? Or you've also done Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is mostly improv and it's a, you know, more comedic. Right, and it's also shot more, more like a film. Um, well, which do I prefer? I think the intimacy and the seriousness of the, um, single camera format, the, you know, more the film, the film approach 
to me is more satisfying because you really, I mean, in sitcoms with multi-camera, they kind of rush you along, and I don't know, I don't know any multi-camera shows that are really that interested in the specific, the the real intricacies of 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 the acting, and I felt very, um, I felt. I feel like when I'm doing when I'm doing a single camera show, they really everybody takes time with their craft more. Now you that makes sense to you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. It's it's I mean, it's it's, yeah. like, it's two different worlds. I mean, that's the thing. It's just like you know, a lot of stand up yeah. comics didn't like being in the writing room because it's just a different world for them, and right. it's something that you know when your comics have the you know we go a little crazy sometimes when you're constrained more i think it's it's something more enjoyable now how right. tell me about your pretty little liars you bought it a few times and then and and what was your role you're mrs horowitz yes mrs horowitz you know a jew of course <laughs> and um and um i and it was fun i loved i loved doing that show and that was also shot like a film um and worked with a lot of very interesting people, some terrific directors, and um, a couple of the producers and writers on the show I, I knew, so that was that was very comfortable, and um, and it was great. I you know I had, was I did four episodes of that, so and it was also fun to be like to to all of a sudden like my daughter's friends are um, like. Like becoming a large fans of mine. Is your mom on Pretty Little Liars? You know, so I have this different fan base, which is very fun. I think a lot of times too, it's the fan base. I've heard that the the kids who watch the shows are fanatical. Like, have you run into anything? Like, I've heard where like people say they've been on a few episodes of a kids show, and then they get seen at the mall, and the person will be like looking. The kids doesn't want to say anything. And next thing you know, it's like 40 kids. Right, I know. But it wasn't, it's, I mean, I didn't have that. Um, Pretty Little Lars was, but I'm not sure I understood your question. I'm sorry. No, do you start getting noticed by kids, even though it's only been four episodes, but kids seem very... Oh, oh yes, yes, definitely. These are teenagers. This is a teenage show. This is not like, I'm not doing like Lab Rats or something like, like Miley Flanagan, who's a friend of mine. She's uh, she was on Lab Rats, and you know, little little kids are her. Um, are, well, they're, they're little, they're kind of tweens. Tweens are are her uh, fans, and but she's on it constantly. And my friend Mindy Sterling also was on a lot of kids shows, so she has a lot of kid fans. You know, more so more so than I did. More now, so than I did. Now you did a you did a podcast with Mindy. Are you guys still doing that? No, we're on hiatus and we're looking for a new home for it. Now, what was your podcast about and how did you decide to work with her? Just because you guys are longtime friends? And... We're friends and we love, we love working together and we're funny together. And we have very different energies and, um, and we, just, we just love it. We just love it and we, and we have to get back to it. We really have to get back. We, both of, each of us, both of us are very... Um, are very uh, busy right now, which is nice. Now, with I'm Dying Up Here, what was it like being in the scenes with Melissa Leo when you actually, she's based on Mitzi, was it was it sort of surreal? Like we said, you said it earlier, was it sort of, you know, because you said Mitzi had given you a lot of chances and got you on stage a lot when you had started, when you moved to L.A. 
do you see like is she is there similarities in her acting and because she's such a strong Not actor. She, in fact, she's really like, she, I mean, obviously the setting is what it is. Um, but um, her character is completely different. Completely different. Um, she's much tougher. Much tougher than, Min, than uh, Mitzi was. You know, Mitzi was more like a, a nurturing mother. She's a tough, Melissa Leo's a tough mother. Okay. Now, also, I believe you just did something with Bob Saget. I saw your pictures with Rob Corddry. Yeah, it was so fun. I just did one scene, just worked one day, and I worked with Rob Corddry, whom I adore. He's amazing. He's so great, and he's so sweet. What a nice man. What a lovely, lovely man. Now, did, yeah. did Saget write this or direct it, or he's starring in it? He's directing it, and he's also starring in it. Now, do you know Bob from back in the stand-up days? I know Bob from the comedy store, yeah. Now, yeah. What, what's it like working with him? Just because he's, you know, he, he's, you see him on TV shows and he's just so funny. And, and people I know tell me he's just such a cool guy. I know who a guy who was a sound man for his reality show he did for a little bit. And he said he's like the best boss because he's just chill and he understands what's going on. Oh, yeah, because he has that, he has that perspective. He, can ha he, can, he has the compassion uh, uh, because he's a performer and, um, but he's a, he's a hilariously funny person. He makes me laugh so hard, but he's also very sensitive and can, you know, you can really talk to him. Um, and he, and he can, he can discuss things that are really important. I mean, you know, he's had a lot of tragedy in his life. He lost, I think, two siblings. Um, so, um, you know, he, he knows how to, he, he knows how to be a person. He really does. He's not always on, even though he's always funny, he's not always on, you know, he, he can, he can be a real human being. Now you're, you're working a lot, you know, do you still get nervous when you go for an audition or are you at the point where you're like, you know what, yes. it's, it's an audition. I mean, I mean, how do you, how do you prepare for an audition? What goes, cause I don't know if I ever got an audition, you sit there and you go, what am I going to do? And I'm wishy-washy as it is, as my mom would say, how do you prepare for an audition? Uh, I mean, it depends. Uh, it depends. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I. Look at as, as much of, I mean, I try to know who my character is within the context of the piece as much as I can. If I have questions when I go in, I ask questions. Um, if I have to make a, a last-minute adjustment, I'll do that. Um, I try to know the lines as best as I can. I uh, try to dress the part as best as I can. Um, you know, I just try to make myself the character as much as I can. Now, has there been any auditions lately that you didn't get and you were bummed about because you really wanted the part? Yes. <laughs> of course. Who says no to that? Um, yes, I mean, there was, yes, there were some that I was really close. I felt very close to getting it. And, you know, I, I did have the opportunity to cast something once, something that I, that I was doing. And... I completely understood what a person goes through who is in a casting position. Um, you know, uh, it, it boils down to little things that 
or no, you, you have no control over. Um, like, uh, you know, I have no control over what I look like. Uh, if I'm, if they're trying to match me to be a relative of somebody and I don't look as much like I could be a relative of somebody as another actor could, that's not my fault. I mean, there are so many variables that you don't control. So you have to go in knowing that you just do your best and then you have to do your, you do your best in the room and then you do your best to leave it behind you. And that's always challenging well, to not think about it. That's good. But, you know, you've been doing it and you've been doing great for years. So you got to be feel good. Uh, we got to go soon. Now, I know I see you post a lot politically on, on the Facebook. I know you're on Twitter. Do you tweet and then it goes to your Facebook or you just do Facebook? I, when I tweet, it goes to my Facebook. I do Facebook. When I have something short to say that that would fit on Twitter, then I post it there. If I have something that really isn't like a tweet, then I'll go right to Facebook. And certainly if something's verbose, I, I um, or not even verbose, if something is longer than 140 characters, I go to Facebook. I don't do those like... You know, I don't do that, that string of tweets. I, I can't but, either. <laughs> like, you know, I think it's so annoying. I'm like, yeah, I'm the same way with you. I'm like, just put it on yeah. Facebook. So Yeah, certain people don't read Facebook. Yeah. Well, I know your, your, your Twitter is at Kathy Labman, people. It's at Kathy Labman. It's Kathy with a C. Your website yeah. is KathyLabman.com. You always keep it updated. And, and do you have any comedy? Well, yeah, do, do pretty have, much so. Do you have any yes. comedy shows coming up? Um, I have nothing... I have I'm at the improv this uh, Friday in in uh, LA on Melrose. Um and then I'm doing something in um I'm doing a show in Carlsbad on the 19th. Um what's the name of the show? Oy it's all right. It's it's in Carlsbad. It's in 19th. In Carlsbad, there aren't that many show comedy shows happening in Carlsbad, <laughs> exactly. California, which is south of LA. I want to I want to thank you for coming on, Kathy. Oh and, God, it was so nice to talk to you. It's always and, a pleasure and, to talk uh, to you. And so people follow her on Twitter at Kathy Lavin. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Go to my website CooperTalk.net. There's over 630 episodes up there. I'm Steve oh. Cooper. This has been Walk My Mind, and you guys have a great day.